This mug says, totally the best dad ever, which is not a compliment. It's simply a neutral statement of fact. Uh, Amy had to get up early this morning, get here for, for worship rehearsal, and so I was on Kaya duty this morning. Kaya turns four in August. I went into her room, and the first words out of her mouth were, Daddy, did you like the present I got for you? Which is that. Which, she, it's, not, it's not that cute, because listen, she doesn't have a job, so... Like, she uses my money to get me. And this is what I got last Father's Day, this tie and pocket square. I got that this year. So technically, I'm now poorer for having uh, Father's Day because she's using my money to get me things. And so then, then she asked, Daddy, will you wear it? Like, will you wear the mug? I said, baby, you don't really wear mugs. And then she lost it. She's like, oh, I want you to wear it. So if she asks, I wore it. All right? Mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge really quickly, some of you have lost dads. I've stood at those gravesides with you over the last several years as your pastor. I want you to know I love you, praying for you today. I grieve with you today, shoulder that burden with you today. Some of you have lost uh, children. Uh, Amy and I have gone through two failed adoptions. We've not lost um, a baby in you know, pregnancy, uh, but, but have gone through two failed adoptions. So uh, men in the room, I'm, I'm there with you in that too. I know like Mother's Day, we talk about that stuff more. Uh, because for dads, like men, you know, we don't feel, you know, we hit things with sticks and spit on our food. We don't have emotions. Uh, but I know that so many of you um, feel that loss uh, today. And so I love you and I'm with you in that. Um, but uh, I, I am going to celebrate my Father's Day because I am totally the best dad ever, uh, as per my mug. So uh, I did have a really great Father's Day weekend. I, I hope that it continues. Yesterday, Amy went to a tea, which I find absurd. Um, like, what, like, we go to a place and, and, like, you go drink tea? That's the idea? Yep. And you have teeny tiny little sandwiches. Like, I don't know what, what is that? I don't, I don't know what that is. I wasn't invited either. So that, that should not come as a surprise to you. But she went to a tea. So I was on Kaya duty. So here's what Kaya and I did. We got up. Uh, first thing we did is got dressed and went to the splash pad. There's a splash pad right around the corner from our house. It was hot yesterday, was it not? Cooking. Right? So we spent a bunch of time at the splash pad. And then for lunch, we drove north just a little bit, went into downtown Newmarket, um, there's a craft beer fest going on down in, in downtown Newmarket. And in, in order to get in for free, you had to have your hand stamped designated driver. And I'm with Kaya, so I was like, stamp her hand. No, I didn't. Um, they, they weren't into that, so I stamped my hand designated driver. So we went in and, and listened to live music, and she got off my shoulder. She danced for a little while. It was like a Pride Day in Newmarket yesterday, which made for a great conversation for me and Kaya. What are all the rainbows? Well, babe, here's the deal. Uh, so so it had to have that dad moment and then went back to the splash pad afterwards. And then on the way home, we stopped by the butcher, a butcher called Micatoni's by my house. I know some of you are like into Cumbres where you pay like $19 for a hot dog. That's fine. If that's what you're into, that's great. But I'm into Micatoni's by the house. And I got this tomahawk steak. Have you seen a tomahawk steak before? A tomahawk steak is like this big around. It looks like it came from a pterodactyl. And it's got like a big bone sticking out of it. Like Fred Flintstone type of Like literally you could hold it like this, the bone, and there's a big steak on the top of it. Kaya, her eyes lit up. She's like, I want that one. I'm like, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And then we went home and she fell asleep on me on the couch. That was my Father's Day gift. I was just overjoyed. And, and I'm going to go home and cook my tomahawk steak. So let's pray together um, and close. Um, 
The best way to cook a tomahawk steak sitting in my refrigerator right now is very, very simple. It's really, really easy four-step process. Here's what you do. You get your grill up to as high as you can possibly get it. You throw the tomahawk steak on your grill. Five minutes one side, five minutes the other. Then you turn off the middle burners, keep the outside burners on, leave it in there for another 30 minutes on indirect heat. You don't want any direct heat on it. You take it out, let it rest for eight minutes, cut it, and serve it. It's really easy. The thing about good barbecue and good grilling, which I'm going to do this afternoon, is it's a lot like good Bible study. Here's the deal. You pick a great piece of meat and you don't screw it up. It's easy. Like for a filet or for a ribeye, like nobody wants your like, you know, I do cumin and all this other kind. You know, liquid smoke. Does anybody use liquid smoke? Stop using it. It's a sin. I'll point it out in Leviticus. It's a sin to use that stuff. You don't, you put a bunch of stuff on a good piece of meat and you really mess it up. See, the same is true with good Bible study. The book that you've got in front of you is an outstanding piece of meat. That book that you've got on your phone or in the seat back in front of you or the one that you brought in with you, please, please, when we study it, when we allow it to nourish our soul, which my tomahawk steak will indeed do, (laughs) please don't mess it up. Don't get in the way. And what we've been doing in this uh, series, the B-I-B-L-E, is talking about all kinds of things. Can we trust the Bible? How'd the Bible come together? Uh, what is the Bible? We talked last week about Bible memorization. If you missed that, check that out online. Kevin Chan did a great job talking about Bible memorization. And what we've been doing even for the last couple of weeks is uh, talking about this question. How do I read the Bible? How do I read the Bible? So here's what I want to do today. A couple weeks ago, we talked about context and genre. And today, I want to give you a very easy, very applicable four-step process. Just like five minutes on one side, five minutes on the other, take it off indirect heat, leave it on for 30 minutes, take it off, let it rest for eight, cut it and serve. See, four-step process for cooking my tomahawk steak, easy. There's a four-step process for reading and understanding scripture that you can use each and every day as you pick up the B-I-B-L-E and read it. And here it is, it's called REAP. Reap. Now, if you're a note taker, you need to jot this down. If you're not a note taker, you need to jot this down. Here's why. Because mm. today is going to be one of them their interactive sermons. You're going to talk to me here in a few minutes. We are going to study this together. I'm not just going to tell you about reap today. We're going to do this with John chapter 4, all of us together. So you need a Bible That's the very first thing you need. So get your iPad, get your iPhone, get your Blackberry, get your... Does anybody actually carry a physical Bible anymore? I brought mine in just so everybody knows I have one. It's just to prove it, right? Because I never use it uh, like my physical one. I'm always reading it on my phone or on the screen, right? But you need a Bible. So seat back in front of you, look on with the neighbor, use the Wi-Fi here in the sanctuary. And we are going to reap John chapter 4 together this morning. So here's the deal. When it comes to reading your Bible, the most important part about reading your Bible, the most important part, but more than context, more than genre, more than commentaries, more than Bible dictionaries, more than understanding the original language, the Greek or the Hebrew, the most important part of reading the Bible is reading the Bible. 
You have got to read the Bible. Some of you are going, look, I'm not a reader, Luke. I'm not, I'm not kind of into books and things like that. I'm more of like a picture magazine kind of guy. Like, no, we have to read the Bible. So in order to get to know your Bible, you're going to have to pick it up and read it. Build that discipline into your life. So the first step in reap and understanding the Bible is reading it you got to read it. Whatever passage you're studying, whatever book you're studying, whatever little scripture you're studying, whatever it is that you want to understand and apply to your life, you have to read it. And like I said, some of you live in kind of a digital age and you don't remember the phrase, please be kind, rewind. You don't remember that. You don't remember having to go to Blockbuster Video to get your movies. You don't remember any of that. And so I want to make it real easy for you when it comes to reading your Bible. And it's up here on the screen. It's an app called YouVersion. You can download it right now. Free Wi-Fi here in the sanctuary. Hop online, search the app store. It's the full Bible on your phone, and not just the full Bible. It'll give you a verse of the day. It'll help you read through the Bible in a year, in six months, in three months. You can search for themes. There's a concordance. There's all kinds of good stuff in that app, and it's far more worth your time than like Angry Birds or Candy Crush, okay? And when you download it on your phone, put it right next to Instagram, So every time you open up Instagram, you feel guilty that you're not opening that one, okay? So that's what you need to do in order to read the Bible. And as we read John chapter 4 today, remember, we're asking a couple questions. What's the macro context? Where are we at in God's big story? And remember this graph from a couple weeks ago? It's up here on the screen. The setting is kind of mankind and humanity on this planet. God creates and turns things loose. Then a conflict enters in. That's when man rebels from God. And there's a rising action, subsequent consequences, death, violence, destruction, all kinds of different things. And the climax, the zenith, is when Jesus enters the picture. And all of those consequences begin to change and turn. The falling action is the church itself. And the resolution is when God makes all things new eventually. So, John. John chapter 4, here's what we're looking for. We're at the climax of God's story, aren't we? We're at the zenith, where where Jesus comes into the picture. And so what we're looking for as we read in God's big story is what's turning here? What is Jesus changing? What negative consequences is he beginning to unravel and then set into motion God's plan to make all things new? Second is the micro context. We're asking ourselves what's happening right now. Well, what's happening right now in John chapter 4 is that Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. But we're going to ask this question micro context about a conversation he has with his disciples inside of John chapter 4 that's going to become really critical for us this morning. Uh, Second thing is this, that we need to pay attention to genre. Remember, John's gospel is a gospel. The, The genre gospel doesn't show up anywhere else in any other literature of antiquity or modern literature. And essentially, the authors of the gospel are trying to convince us of something. It's not simply a biography of someone's life where they're telling us facts. They, John wants us to convince us. And in this particular case, he wants to convince us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to put our active trust in him, and by doing so, have life in his name. And so as we read the text together here, I'll read it to you, you're just going to read along. This is the first step that you're going to do on your own. Some of you have picked Genesis, some of you have picked Samuel, some of you have picked Psalms, James, Acts, John, per our uh, conversation a couple of weeks ago. Some of you are tracking through James in the life group, in a life group like I am. Some of you are reading through the Bible in 40 right now. 
This is how we read and extract meaning from the Bible. So let's start with the first letter of reap, and let's read the passage. It's up here on the screen. Follow along with me. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, hmm, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside that well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We just sang about it. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem, you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When either on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, can you believe this? I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, or do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, 
And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Now, typically when I read a passage, I read it three times all the way through, sometimes out loud and sometimes to myself. So we're just going to start again in verse 1 and read that one more time. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Don't panic. All right, so here's what you would have discovered if you read that passage a few times. One is you would have seen in verse 43 up here on the screen that the setting has changed. Does everybody see that, that the geography has changed? After two days, he departed for Galilee. And in John's gospel, when the geography changes, the theme is changing, the conversation is changing. Mark uses this word immediately. He loves that word immediately to note a change. So verse 1 begins this conversation with the Samaritan woman, and verse 42 is the end of it because verse 43 is the transition. Does everybody see it? So today what we're going to do is we're going to reap John chapter 1, verses 1 through 42. And, and if you read it a couple of times, what you would have seen is that Jesus has this interaction with the Samaritan woman, but also within the context of that interaction, the disciples show up. Did you see that? The disciples show up and they're like, hey, what are you doing talking to a woman? And have you eaten today? You know, that whole deal. Okay, that's kind of a sidebar that we're not going to deal with today. But this is why micro context is so important. If you want to study that passage later, please understand it within the context of John 4. Don't just take it out. Ask yourself, what's happening right now? And what's happening right now is Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Every time, every time I say Samaritan woman, bum, bum. Samaritan woman, like every time, goes through my head, every time. Some of you are like, I am lost. I like Drake. Do you like Drake? Like over your head. Okay, so what you would have found out if you read that three times through is that John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30, and John uh, 39 through 42 is really this conversation with the Samaritan woman. That's what we're going to deal with. 31 through 38 is a side conversation with disciples. Everybody see it? So if you would have read it three times, just like I'm asking you to do and telling you to do, then you would have seen that. You would have also seen really four sections in this text. The first is verse 1 through 6. Verse 1 through 6 is kind of the introduction. Jesus is at this well, and we find a bunch of things, and we see the characters and the setting and all that stuff. Then he begins to engage in this conversation about water, and that conversation happens in verse 7 through 15. Then in verse 16 through 26, the, the conversation turns. Jesus and this woman begin to to talk about worship, and then once she kind of realizes who she's talking to, you hear the conclusion of the passage in verses 27 through 30 and in verse 39 through 42. So here's what we've got is, is an intro, a conversation about water, a conversation about worship, and a conclusion. Everybody with me here? And all, all we've done there is just read the passage a couple of times. So also I want you to know this morning that I, in this sermon... I didn't use commentaries. I didn't use Bible dictionaries. I didn't use Greek translation. I used the Bible and Google. That's it. No secret pastor decoder ring, okay? So here's the deal. You can do this. You can do this. Not just you, you can do this, but here in about two seconds, you're going to do this. 
What, like, did I want the Sunday off? No, 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 no. I want us to learn to do it together, not just for me to teach you, but to actually put it into practice. So the second step in our process is this. We're going to examine the text. We're going to examine the text. And when we examine the text, we do two things. We make observations and ask questions. We make observations and ask questions. Listen to me. When you make observations, you are not asking the question, what does it mean? You're asking the question, what does it say? You see the difference? Meaning is like, okay, what about me and what does this mean to me? Say, what does it say is like, Jesus is at a well. Simple. That's an observation. A question. Why is Jesus at a well? See? Easy. So here's the deal. We are going to make observations and ask questions, and then you're going to talk back to me. We're going to interact together a little bit this morning. I know for some of you with social anxiety, you're already panicked. Happy Father's Day, all right? So, but you're going to talk back to me, and what we're going to do is we are going to examine the Scripture together and study it and extract meaning from it. So you guys over here on my left, this section from this row over, you've got uh, verses 1 through 6. Got it? John 4, 1 through 6. Didn't I tell you you needed a Bible in front of you? Now you're panicking. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a quiz. Yeah, it's a quiz. All right. You guys in the middle, verse 7 through 15. Got it? You guys over here, 16 through 26. And you folks in the balcony that are like, I don't want to interact with people at all. I'll sit in the balcony. I'm sitting in the foyer next week. That's great. Um, like, I'm with you. I, don't, I, don't, I would be up in the balcony, too. Okay, you've got verses 27 through 30 and verses 40, 39 through 42. Does everybody know what passage they have to examine, to make observations and ask questions? That's all you're doing. And write them down because you're going to talk back to me. Does everybody know what passage they have? Okay, you've got some time to read it and make observations and ask questions. I'm going to give you a little theme music while you do it. Ready? One, two, three, go. Over on my left here, verse 1 through 6, people, what do we got? Observations, call them out. What do you have? Oh, brilliant. That's very good. That's really good. Jesus didn't baptize. Look at that. Jesus did not baptize. Great observation. What else? He left Judea. And he went to Galilee. Yeah, there you go. So he's moving. What else we got? He had to go through Samaria. What else we got? Uh, someone in the back. I heard someone in the back. Talk a little louder. Oh, yeah. Not, not just thirsty. Look at verse 6. What else is he? He's weary. He's tired, isn't he? Now, honestly, listen to me. This group over here, who's smarter than all the other groups, okay? This group over here has just pointed out that Jesus is weary. Just a simple observation. Okay, that observation is going to turn into a profound theological truth here in a minute. We're going to ask the question in a minute, what does it mean? But right now, it's, a, it's, it's just an observation, but it's going to turn into a profound theological truth. Great observations. What, what questions do you have for the text? Not for me, for the text. Why was he weary? Great question. What else? Jim. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Did everybody catch that? John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Great question, Jim. What else? 
Why didn't he baptize? Awesome question. You know the answer? I don't know. But, but that's a great question. Verses 7 through, what are we at? 7 through 12? 7 through 15. You guys in the middle, talk to me. Observations. What would you see? He what? He, he talked to a Samaritan. Great observation. Really simple. What? He talked to a woman. Yeah, he talked to a woman. Was that video back there? It is? You know your verses one through six, right? So you're stepping on these people's toes. <laughs> Come on, video. Shoot. Uh, you know I love you, video. All right, what else we got? Just keep talking to me. What else we got? Observations. Jesus asked for water. Poof. Same thing, Jesus asked for water. Great. What else? Yeah, he never got any water. He never got any water. Great observation. <laughs> Man, this is a sharp group this morning, boy. <laughs> what questions do you have for the text? What questions? Right here, right here, I see you. Who, who or what is the gift of God? If you knew the gift of God, what is that? Yeah. Great, what else? Why did he ask for water? Great question. Say what? Yeah, right. If he has living water, why is he asking for water, right? And one more question. Anybody else? Okay, that's fine. That's good. Great. You guys are awesome. Okay, you guys over here. What would you have? 16 through what, 26? Okay, observations. Go. Jesus revealed himself to her. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Abby, t uh, tell me the, uh, the verse there. I who speak to you am he, 26, there we go. Jesus straight up said, that's me, great. Oh, was that on Hara or Abby? That was on Hara? Oh, good, great. Look, I got lights in my face. The fact that I can actually spell on Hara, like we, we're friends for that, right? Okay, good. All right, good, thank you, great. Jesus revealed himself, what else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, did everybody hear that? Janine said, Janine's in my life group. Uh, um, so I told her all the answers before this. So, um, <laughs> no, it's a great observation. So Jesus asked her, go call your husband, and he knew full well she doesn't have one. Hmm. Great observation. What else? Anybody else? Look at Dave. Dave's the pastor. He's sitting here like, I don't have any idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm missional. I don't know. Uh, Fran, talk to me. Yeah, her simple response, I have no husband. I have no husband. Great, great. Uh, what, uh, what questions do you have for the text? What questions? What would you ask the text? If you could ask any question, what would you ask John? Why do you bring up the husband? Lisa, the same question? Yeah, why do you bring up the husband? That's awkward, isn't it? Somebody in the first service was like, Jesus is asking very personal questions. Like, of course he is, right? And, and don't you sometimes wish, like, in your own prayer life and, like, walk with Jesus and in worship and stuff that he wouldn't ask such personal questions even now? It's like, you know, the word of God cuts and pierces, divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and you're like, Jesus, that's a little personal, you know, which is probably how this woman is responding. Like, uh, I don't know, I have a husband. Where's the mountain you worship on? Like, she's just totally deflecting. She's panicked, right? What else? Any other questions? 
Yeah, why he asked when he already knew the answer. Love it. Okay, uh, introverts in the top. Um, 27 through 30 and 39 through 42, what are your observations? You extroverts in the bottom can help them out if you need to. 27 through 30, 20, 39, 29 through 42, or yeah, 39 through 42, what do we get? Rob, Rob, is that you, Rob? Can I? Okay, I, I can't hardly see, but talk to me. So, okay, tell me the observation again. The disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to the woman, so they were surprised. But no one asked. There you go. No one asked, what do you seek? So they were shocked. They were shocked, but they didn't, they didn't say, hey, like, let me explain. Like, you know, talk to me a little bit about this, Jesus. They didn't, right? Good. Great. Awesome. What else? Observations. He stayed for two days. Great observation. It really is. Great observation. One more. Make an observation to the passage. That's it. One more. <laughs> so good. Everybody catch that one? The woman left her jar. What verse is that? 28? 28, right? 28. Woman left her water jar. Oh, good. So we've, so we've read the passage. Okay? We've read it. Now we've made some observations and we've asked some questions. Now it's time to apply it. Now it's time to apply it. Next, next slide. There you go. That's your next letter as you reap the scripture. You apply the text. You've made some observations. You've asked some questions. As you endeavor to apply the text, I, I want to encourage you to ask three really cr critical questions. They're very, very easy. You can jot them down and they're the, these. Uh, what, so what, and now what? What, so what, and now what? So what did it mean to the original listener? So what is what does it mean to me now or to us? And then now what is what am I going to do next now that I've discovered this, now that I know this, now that I understand this? If you're jotting notes down, there's three really key words to jot down as you uh, ask these questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean next? You, you catching it? You understand? So don't, as you read the Bible, don't jump here right away. What does it mean now? What does it mean to me? Don't jump there. Talk about what did it mean to the original audience. Because there are Bible passages that will be far richer in meaning if you ask what did it mean to the original audience. Or if you ask what does it mean to me and you don't talk about the original audience or think about the original audience, what does it mean, what did it mean then, you'll miss the entire point of the scripture. So here's one, just an example of something that's going to be a far richer uh, meaning if you, ask, if, you, if you ask first, what did it mean then? James writes, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So a lot of times we say, oh, man, consider it joy when my car breaks down, right? 
I just pushed one of our uh, staff, uh, children's ministry staff, a couple weeks ago. I saw her on Steele's Avenue, car totally broken down. So I pushed the car off Steele's Avenue. And I watched her consider that joy. She applied that verse. It was great. But James's audience is not a group of people that are driving cars. Are we all aware of that? It's 2,000 years ago. Romans hadn't even invented cars yet, all right? So when he says consider it pure joy, he's saying, when Nero strapped you to a pole and lights you on fire to light his garden party, consider it pure joy. When your friends and family are thrown to the lions for someone else's entertainment, consider it pure joy. See, it's a little richer now, isn't it? Now, when your car breaks down, yeah, consider it pure joy. And when you go through trials and tribulations, yeah, consider it pure joy. Count it all joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But if we ask ourselves, what did it mean to the original audience? What did it mean then? It's far richer. Then what does it mean now and what does it mean next? As you ask the question, what did it mean then, you are going to have to fill in some gaps, okay? You're going to have to fill in some gaps. The reason why is that the Bible was written at least 2,000 years ago and the Old Testament even 1,500 to 2,000 years before that. Hmm. It was written thousands of miles away in a very different culture and a very different mindset. So let's talk about three types of gaps that you're going to have to fill in. Cultural gaps, chronological gaps, and geographical gaps. Let's go do an example in John chapter 4. And remember, no secret pastor decoder ring, no commentary, just a Bible and Google. This is, how we, this is how we're getting here, right? Some of you are going, what do we pay this guy for if that's all he does, right? Like, you know, but stick with me. Cultural gap that you're going to have to fill in is this. The disciples are shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. Everybody catch that? Now, do we live in a culture where it's, where it's surprising to see a man talking to a woman? No, uh, no, no. I got a friend named Emily. She's a baby in Wellington at the coffee shop there that I go to to study. I talk to her every time I'm in there. Fantastic human being. Love her. Like, I talked to her. I talked to her. That's normal. But back then, it was completely abnormal for a man to talk to a woman. Very abnormal. So when we understand that there's something different about that culture. Does anybody, by the way, has anybody come from a country or ever visited a country where it's very abnormal or even like a faux pas for men to talk to women in public? Anybody at all? I've visited countries like that 100%. That's not Canada, but that was uh, Palestine 2,000 years ago. We're going to have to fill in chronological gaps, chronological gaps. Uh, not just 2,000 years ago, but uh, there are some references, especially in the New Testament, to things that went on before the New Testament was written. So uh, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, people. Where does this conversation take place? It takes place at someone's well. Who's well? Jacob's well. So if you just Google, what is Jacob's well?, Here's what you find out if you did about 10 minutes of reading. The father of the nation of Israel was a man named Abraham. God called him out of Israel and gave him a promise. I promise to give you as many children as there are sands on the seashore, as many children as there are stars in the sky, and I'm going to do it through the son of promise. That son of promise was named Isaac. Isaac had twins. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Esau was older. Jacob was younger. Jacob actually grabbed Esau's heel when they were coming out. I mean, he wasn't that much younger. Esau was very, very hairy. 
icky. Jacob was like a dolphin, right? No hair at all, okay? Very smooth. And as they were growing, Esau had the birthright, had the blessing of his father because he was the older one. And Jacob was jealous. He wanted that blessing. And so what he did is one day when Esau was out hunting, uh, he, he grew very, very hungry. He was famished. And he came to his brother Jacob and he said, man, I'm starving. Do you have anything to eat? Jacob says, totally. Here's a bowl of stew. You give me your birthright. And Esau foolishly gave him his birthright, but Jacob really tricked him into it. Jacob kind of manipulated him into getting his birthright, which is a really, really big deal. Then Jacob wanted his father's blessings. So check this out. This is super gross. But he killed an animal, skinned it, and put it on his arm and went to his dad, who was blind, and said, I'm your son Esau. Feel my arm. Feel how hairy I am. Could you imagine how hairy Esau was? That is so gross. I mean, if it's like, oh, it's a goat. It's like, that's my son Esau. Ugh. Like, there's places that will take care of that for you, man. Like, wow. So he fools his father, uh, uh, Isaac, into blessing him. And so Jacob takes both Esau's birthright and his blessing. Now, if you were Esau, would you be happy about that? No, he was indignant, and those two went to war. And for 40 years, as their families grew, as they had children and grandchildren and livestock and land, they were at war all the time, and Jacob was always on the run for 40 years. And finally, those two parties were about to go to war. They were about to kill each other, and Jacob sent kind of out ahead to try to make amends with Esau. And Esau says, I forgive you. We're reconciled. And that's where Jacob's well stands. So Jacob's well is a place of what? Reconciliation. See, now we've filled in a chronological gap. Jacob's well is not just this insignificant place. It's a very significant place in the Old Testament. We filled in a chronological gap. And so here's Jesus at the climax of God's big story. Remember where things begin to turn? And he starts to reconcile whom? Jews and Samaritans. Men and women. Jesus, the most moral man that ever lived with a very immoral woman. She didn't have five husbands. Everybody got that, right? This woman was a what? She was a prostitute. Most, you know, one of the most immoral people in that culture. And Jesus is bringing reconciliation, just like what happened at Jacob's well so long ago. Just filled in a chronological gap. Again, that's just Google, my friends. Let's fill in a geographical gap. Uh, Jim, you said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, had to pass through Samaria. All you got to do is Google, where did Jesus live? And click the image thing. And what you'll get is something along these lines. See, Galilee is up here and Judea is down here. And Jesus is traveling in between the two. Remember, we just noted that, the observations, right? And he had to pass through Samaria. But check this out. He doesn't really have to. He could go around, couldn't he? He could go here through Perea and up into Galilee. He could, he could travel around Samaria, no problem. And that's what most Jews would have done back then. But Jesus did not. He traveled through Samaria, even though Jews and Samaritans hated one another. So when we say, or when John says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria, he was compelled to pass through Samaria because he was called to be a minister of reconciliation. So he wanted to have this conversation with this woman at the well. He wanted to ask her about her husbands and bring that to light. That's pretty cool. And all that is is just observations. So once you've asked what did it mean then and you filled in cultural, chronological, and geographical gaps, you talk about what does it mean now. What does it mean now? What does it mean to me? Mm. 
Somebody noted over here that Jesus was tired. He was weary, right? And thirsty. Watch this. Watch this. Does God get tired? Does God get tired? Simple. No. He doesn't grow weary, right? But Jesus got tired. What does that mean about Jesus? He was fully man. Now, there's other texts that would affirm that he's also fully God. And the only it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, man for what? Man. So the only reason Jesus could be our replacement on the cross is if he was fully man. But here's John affirming that man got weary, tired. Even on the cross, Jesus said, I what? Thirst. Right? Because he's fully human. A high priest that's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. That is a theological truth that is unique to Christianity and should blow our minds. That in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was God in the very beginning and became flesh. Fully man. Fully God. So much man that he even got tired and had to sit down at a well. Just observations. Just observations. So what does it mean now? What does it mean to me? What does it mean today? That I've got a high priest who's able to sympathize with all of my weaknesses. That no temptation has seized me except that which is common to man. That Jesus has experienced everything that I've experienced. Loss, grief, pain, temptation, difficulty, joy, laughter, friendship. All of those things that only humans can experience. Jesus has experienced them because he was fully man. And we just deduce that from him being tired with the Bible and Google. If those two ever disagree, though, take, take the Bible. Okay, take the Bible, right? Then what next? What next? What does it mean for me now? What am I going to do next? What, 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 what am I? So what is what we're asking. So what? And when you ask this question, so what, I, I, I want you to, or sorry, now what? Now what? I want you to ask the question, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Is, is the Bible prescribing something for me to do or simply describing the truth here? So when John tells us that this woman had five husbands, is he prescribing that you go get five husbands? Or is he simply describing what was true about this woman? Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. Describing. Don't say prescribing because you'll walk out of here and go, I've only got three. Pastor Lucas says I need two more. Like, don't, don't do that. That's not what's saying. But what he's, he's saying is he's just describing the reality. This happens all throughout the scripture. And people really noodle with this stuff and they begin to manipulate. But, but the scripture simply, in a lot of cases, just describes, not prescribes. So we ask ourselves, so what? And then simply, now what? Now what? What's next for me? What am I going to do with this truth? And there's all kinds of truths that you could extract from those observations you made and those questions you asked. Go find answers to them. I can't answer them all this morning. Some of them I can't answer at all. Why didn't Jesus baptize? I'll have to Google that one myself. But you can go grab those and, and meditate on those truths. Murmur those truths to yourself as you learn to apply the text and say, okay, now what? What am I going to do Next, if Jesus was a minister of reconciliation, then I probably ought to what? Be a minister of reconciliation. We talked about this woman dropping her jar. Does that sound familiar? Like the disciples dropping their what? Nets and following him. And the reason she dropped her jar, this livelihood, this thing that, that she needed in order for her sustenance, she dropped it and ran to do what? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I mean, it's even looking at that going, man, if I could be more like that Samaritan woman, 
if I could be more like her, dropping anything and everything that I might hold tightly to just to tell the world, come see. Just come and see. We're not even asking you to follow. Just come see. And then my friends, maybe, maybe, they would be like the Samaritans that said, it's not about your testimony anymore. It was great. Your testimony is great. But we've seen for ourselves now. And then finally, once we've read, examined, applied, we just pray. We just pray. That's a really easy tool for studying your Bible. Some of you have been reading through the text. You've been reading through Samuel, Psalms, Genesis, John, Acts, James. You've been reading through the Bible in 40, and you've got a lot of questions. I would encourage you over the next couple of weeks to jump on Facebook, jump on Instagram, and submit those questions to us because the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about FAQs, frequently asked questions about the Bible, and I'm going to do my best to address some of those frequently asked questions. If we don't get any questions on Facebook and Instagram, the sermons are going to be very short, okay? Don't take advantage of that now. That's rude, okay? That's rude, all right? Just submit your questions. And if you're like, man, I don't want to post this in a public thing, send us a private message. We'd love to hear those questions. So here's what we've done. We've read, examined, applied. Now we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Thanks, God, for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce and divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, even judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thank you that we can read a lot of books, but this is the only book that reads us. Thank you for this truth that we've been memorizing, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you, Jesus, that you were fully man and fully God. Thank you that you broke down walls between moral and immoral, men and women, Jews and Samaritans, all races and ethnicities, unified under you, the flag of Jesus. Thank you that you had to go through Samaria, not because geography demanded it, but because the Father demanded it. Thank you for all the truth that we can find here in John chapter 4 and through all your scripture. God, may we take this tool, very easy four-step process, and use it every time we read the Bible, and may you change and transform our hearts because of it. In the name of Christ, the people of God, with enthusiasm, said... Thanks for interacting with me this morning.